0: Please note, this episode contains mentions of sexual assault that some listeners may find disturbing. Every country has their own history of beliefs, unique mythology and local folklore that has been passed down through generations. These are the stories and ideas that shape a people, influence the way they live, and in some cases are a determining factor in choices people make. Indonesia is no different. What is different, however, is just how much these beliefs, mythology, and folklore are still as valid now, centuries after they first appeared. This is Archipelagos. Datang teman-teman, this is Nis and Kaz and you're listening to Archipelagos, a podcast about the ghosts, supernatural beings and mystical curiosities of Indonesia. In each episode, we'll also be interviewing everyday Indonesians and hearing about their spooky experiences. So Karen, today's episode will be a little bit different, Ooh. which hopefully it will be a good different Our first few episodes, we focused on a topic in each episode sort of going into a deep dive and trying to get more to the history and the background and the stories and all that kind of stuff about each thing. But this episode, I'm actually trying to broaden out the conversation a little bit and talk more about the whole idea of what this podcast is based on. So some of the things that I'll talk about today, they're sort of, we've mentioned, we've talked about a little bit in the previous episodes, yes. Yeah. but I want to sort of give more of an overview about all this stuff we've started talking about and will talk about in the future to the how and why Indonesia has such a diverse landscape of supernatural, paranormal and mystical things. Before I actually start talking about all this history and background, I wanted to ask you, as you grew up in Australia, Indonesia is Australia's closest neighbour – What was your view of Indonesia or your knowledge of Indonesia back then, sort of until we met and maybe we started talking about things and stuff like that?
1: Well, before that fateful day in 2000 (laughs) when I sat next to you in a tutorial at university. (laughs) When the planets aligned. (laughs) When the planets aligned. I really never thought much about Indonesia. I knew about Bali, that it was a beautiful holiday destination for Australians the other thing I knew about was East Timor and Indonesia's occupation of East Timor and that pretty much was from dad who's interest very interested in politics and geopolitics and yeah we just used to chat about you know the political landscape of Indonesia but other than that I really had very limited understanding of the country and its people and its
0: culture. Yeah, and especially all the crazy supernatural and paranormal things that people believed in. <sighs> if only I'd known that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you've you always been interested in, in these kinds of things since you were young. I love it. It's my bread and butter. <laughs> Your bread and butter. <laughs> so... I wanted to go back to Indonesia's religions and beliefs because I think this is actually one of the biggest influences on the title of this episode, which is Indo-Myth Law, the things that Indonesians believe until now, regardless of their religion and how much they practice it. I think the history of these religions and beliefs they all factor into how or what shape the supernatural and mystical takes in Indonesia, all these things that we're discussing. Definitely. Before becoming the current nation state, Indonesia was just a grouping of islands and it just had villages and towns and small kingdoms. It was an agrarian society, which means they were focused on agriculture. They also had trade happening in the islands from from a really long time ago, like even centuries before the Common Era. So with the increase of trade over the years, foreign influence as well as new religions started being introduced when all these traders uh, started coming. So the populations grew and the kingdoms grew um, and it sort of became more of a, a hub and more of an area that attracted even more traders and more people coming to sort of check this place out. Yes. And obviously along with that, people brought their beliefs. So Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, and they were brought by the Chinese and Indian and Arabic slash Muslim traders. Early Indonesians believed in the concept of animism and dynamism. This is a concept that's actually common to a lot of ancient indigenous peoples all around the world. They are these two beliefs that in Indonesia, they go hand in hand. So animism is the belief that all things have a spiritual essence, not just humans. This can include trees, mountains, objects, animals, and possibly even words. And then dynamism is the belief that some objects of nature have power. So I don't know if it's really clear the difference between the two.
1: Dynamism, so some objects are powerful, and animism is that it contains a spiritual essence. A spiritual essence. Yeah. yeah. I think that's. So just for instance, like if there was like, I don't know, God, a sword that was you know, if you used it, it would give you powers, but a sword still might have a spiritual essence, but it might not be powerful. Is that? Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I think, I think sort of the concepts, like I said, they're complementary, but they're also separate because the animism is a spiritual essence. The dynamism is just simply a power. Those things are not they're not the same but they're not mutually exclusive it's a bit of a weird concept and this is why i said they sort of go hand in hand and a lot of a lot of people's from ancient times often believed in both at the same time so after those early indonesians who believed in the spiritual essence and the power of nature and items we then come to hinduism so indonesian hinduism is actually kind of different from South Asian Hinduism, I think because over the centuries in Indonesia it was influenced by other religions around it, but also the pre-existing indigenous and ethnic beliefs like that animism and dynamism. So the Indonesian Hinduism has its own sort of separate, unique beliefs and deities and rituals that... Sort of the regular mainstream Hinduism that might be practiced more commonly around the world don't. Most Hindus in Indonesia now are centered in Bali, but back in those early centuries, they were the whole sort of span of the land. Uh, And this Hinduism, I think it really influenced a lot of the culture and the traditions of. Indonesia until now like architecture and arts and language and one of the really big examples of Hinduism's influence in the arts and also the paranormal I guess related to that yeah are the Hindu epics Ramayana and Mahabharata these are like the really two big stories that I think all Hindus would know these are also really popular and really well known in Indonesia even till now and they're also really major stories for Wayang. I'll talk a bit more about Wayang later on, but they're like puppet shows and they've been around for centuries and the the Hindu epics Ramayana and Mahabharata are really popular stories that are used a lot for these Wayang shows. So Buddhism came through next and from what I've seen and from what I've been reading the effect of Buddhism in Indonesia has been more subtle, uh, and I think Buddhism's um, largest impact on Indonesia has been the Temple of Borobudur, which is in Central Java. Um, so it's this huge temple; it's actually the world's largest Buddhist temple, and it's and it's quite amazing. It's this stone structure, and you you come up. And you walk around it and it's the shape of a, I believe it's called a mandala. Oh, So you're walking up these levels and you're going kind of in a spiral until you finally get to the top and it symbolizes the path to enlightenment because there's like, this huge buddha statue on the top that you that you're trying to get to so i think that's that's a really cool aspect um of buddhism's lasting impact on indonesia because people still go to this temple regardless of what you know religion they follow like that place is a really popular tourist destination uh and lastly comes islam which was the last big religion to come through the country and is sort of been the last big wave because until now Indonesia's main religion is Islam and it's practiced by the majority of the population. Though in its original practice, Islam doesn't really lend itself to too many supernatural or mystical beliefs uh, because it is a monotheistic religion. It believes in one God, unlike, you know, Hinduism that has all the many different gods and deities. So you have different rituals for them and stuff like that. In saying that, there are sort of obviously all the different aspects of the religion, one of them being the jinn, which we spoke about in episode one. Uh, so, jinn are supernatural beings. In Islam, they're just another creature like angels and humans. And I won't get into it too much because you can just go back to episode one if you haven't already and you can hear more about jinn there. Those cheeky little characters. <laughs> Those cheeky characters. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they are cheeky. There are also still a number of localized beliefs that are practiced today, though these are in quite small numbers and concentrated to certain areas or tribes. These are usually just a combination of like maybe the animism and dynamism. They might be like a polytheistic, they might have different gods or There is one small, really small system of belief that I find kind of interesting, but this one is very unique to Indonesia, which is why I'm mentioning it. It's called Kajawen, and this is a Javanese religion. So this started in Java, and it mixes elements of Hinduism, Buddhism, animism, and Islam. Wow! So they were like, yep, I'm taking the whole thing. They... Incorporate a lot of the things that we talk about or we've been talking about because they they have the dukun, which is the shaman, and they have yeah. um, belief in beings, they have rituals, they have, like, all these different religious backgrounds incorporate into it and it's just, it's a real, <laughs> I was going to say Frankenstein of religion. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a
1: melting pot (laughs) oh that's a good one
0: yep it's a real melting pot of a religion because it's basically just taken everything indonesians have believed in since the dawn of time and just saying (laughs) yep mix it all together and put it in one thing and i'll and i'll eat that up so that was the background that hopefully will help you know people listening in understanding the origins of where all of this mystical and supernatural stuff comes from. I don't want to get too much into the details of the actual mythology and folklore of Indonesia because that's kind of what, you know, the podcast is about, what we're trying to do with each episode. But I will just quickly talk about two things, which is supernatural beings and mystical curiosities with the supernatural beings there's like just a bunch of them there's all different shapes and sizes and they all have different backstories and we talk a little bit about that in episode four and in that episode when we talked to him we did talk a little bit about some of those different supernatural beings i can't remember which ones exactly he mentioned I think a lot of people who watch Asian movies will have some kind of idea of what some of these beings might look like. You know, there might be the woman in the white with the long black hair or there might be <laughs> creatures that maybe kidnap people and there are there are ghosts or beings that have the horrible backstories of like women being raped or that kind of stuff. And, yeah, there's just so, so, so many um, different beings that, Hopefully people listening will stick around to to discover soon. And then lastly, the mystical curiosities, which is a really broad term, but I really like to use it because it can encompass so many different things from objects and dances to rituals and like mystical people, all kinds of things. One example is the karis, which is an Indonesian dagger. Some of these kris can be sacred and then some of them can have powers like they can move from place to place by themselves. I think it has a power in the sense that maybe the person who owns the dagger then has that power, oh. but they can also have penunggu, the penunggu, which is that um, spirit that inhabits either a place or an object. Some kris are said to have penunggu, like living inside them. Uh, another example is gamelan, which is the Indonesian percussion-based orchestra. And gamelan is also what you hear at the beginning and end of each of our episodes, which is why I wanted to mention it. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> I love it. It's it's a really unique, um, really distinct sound. But gamelan music is... Uh, usually used to accompany dances, which some of these dances can be, you know, spiritual events in themselves. Like we spoke about in episode two, there was the dance for Uh and they're also sometimes used to accompany Wayang, the puppet theatre. But, yeah, some of these puppets supposedly can have Penungu as well, like they can have something inhabiting them. And the puppet master who's called a dalang he's one of those mystical people because they usually have certain kinds of powers and they have to do certain rituals to become a dalang and before they do each show i think i'm not really sure and then the last example that i i like to talk about is susuk Uh, susuk is a metal needle if you think of like maybe an acupuncture needle It's inserted into the body by a dukun, which is the shaman. A dukun will put this needle, this susuk, into someone's body and it can give the person wearing it certain traits or advantages. So I think the ones that you put in your face can give you beauty and the ones that you put in your hands can give you money.
1: Okay, can we get some of these sent to me, please? Yeah, I want ten susuk in each
0: finger. (laughs) No, I don't. <laughs> It'll be quite painful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, all of those examples is just me trying to tell the listeners of just this really great range of things that all fall under the supernatural banner and they're all influenced sort of by each other but also by Indonesia's history and location and beliefs and religions and all that kind of stuff. So I just really like the idea of all these different things coming together where it's unique but it's also similar. So you can feel like yeah. you have something of your own but you also can find connections with people from around the world. Exactly. Yeah. So before I throw it over to you, Karen, the guest that we have today, this might seem weird because we've spoken about Indonesia, an overview of Indonesia. We don't actually have an Indonesian guest today, but in the spirit of diversity, we've got a non Indonesian, but she's lived there for way too many years. I think she's Indonesian now. I don't think she's Australian anymore. <laughs> so our guest today, May not be technically Indonesian, but maybe now an Indonesian at heart. Whoa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think this unique perspective often illuminates parts of the Indonesian mythological landscape that are seen as normal to everyday Indonesians, but when viewed by outside eyes, it's seen as extraordinary. So... Our guest today, Martina Zainal, was born in Germany and migrated to Australia with her family when she was young. She married an Indonesian and moved to Indonesia with her four children. Martina worked at the Jakarta Post for many years, Indonesia's longest running English language newspaper. She has also taught English to children in remote areas. She is our host, Nissa's mother, Therefore a very important person. Welcome Auntie Martina. Hi, hi Karen. Hi Nisa.
2: Boy, what an intro. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, firstly, I just wanted to get an idea about have you had any paranormal experiences and if so, could you describe them either in Australia, Germany or Indonesia? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I left Germany when I was 2, so that's very uh-huh. unlikely. <laughs> In Australia, I wasn't that into it. I mean, I did read horror stories, I watched horror movies, the usual thing, but I never had anything that was out of the ordinary happen to me. But here in Indonesia, as far as I can remember, the only direct thing that I recall is when the twins were in junior high, at the end of the year, they all wanted to go away for the weekend together. So it was up to the parents to decide where to take them. They wanted to to go to Anyur, which is a beach probably about two, two and a half hours from Jakarta. So some of the mothers drove up there to have a look at the place they wanted to stay. Well, it wasn't any good because it was so spread out, we wouldn't be able to control the children anyway. So that was ruled out. (laughs) That's probably what the kids would have liked. I know, that's the problem. But on the way back, we stopped at a cafe to have something to eat because it was a fairly long trip. It was an open-air, side-of-the-road, beach cafe, nothing special. We saw other groups of mothers in there, so we realised we weren't the only ones having to do this sort of thing. So we sat down, ordered our coffee, and someone somewhere else must have wanted a coconut drink. Anyway, one of the young guys who worked in the back started climbing the coconut tree. All of a sudden, he jumped out of the tree back onto the ground and starts running around babbling madly and people are running after him trying to stop him and he comes racing into the cafe with all these women in there, starts babbling again. Two men grab him and put him on the ground trying to calm him but he's just babbling in this weird language. So one of the other ladies from the other groups got up, calmly got up, went over to him, put her hand on his forehead and said, in the name of Jesus, who are you? (laughs) So this, this guy's lying on the ground ranting and raving and she says you don't belong in here get out of this boy's body in the name of jesus i demand you to get out so this went on for about a good two three minutes i guess and we're also sort of sitting there bug-eyed so finally this guy just collapsed on the ground there was nothing left in him he was just like completely drained she got up went back to her table and continued her coffee <laughs> uh we sort of got the bill and took out of that place as fast as we could oh so that was really weird how
1: weird
2: and what it was when I told Yantu about it he said well he probably climbed the coconut tree without asking permission oh. see so the Jin who was living in the coconut tree was not oh. very happy don't you take my coconuts <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was quite funny to me but I mean that was probably the only thing that directly affected me in that sense that was probably when we were here about 10 years I'd say yeah
0: right right
2: but uh, that's the most memorable
0: yeah (laughs) and the funniest Uh, jumping out of coconut trees Karen (laughs) that's that's the power that being possessed gives you
1: exactly (laughs) and when you were sitting there and it was all happening were you in shock or
2: I mean I literally didn't know what to think. But the funny thing was what I realized later, obviously, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Catholic, because they have the differences here like that, or a Muslim. If you see someone who's possessed, you can obviously help them. Yes. Because this guy on the ground was Muslim. But I mean, she was Catholic or Christian, I'm not sure. But when she said by the power of Jesus, it really affected him and it eventually got out. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, so that's, probably when I began to realise, oh, so other religions probably have the same thing happening to their people as well. Yeah,
1: exactly. And what was your initial impression of this supernatural landscape when you first moved to Indonesia?
2: Well, I mean, when I first moved to Indonesia, all the kids were still small. I mean, Anissa was eight, Imran was five, and the twins were six months old. So I was pretty busy taking care of them and trying to work. She didn't have time to worry about ghosts. (laughs) No. I had enough horrors in the house. I didn't need horrors from outside the house. (laughs) So, you know, it was basically just live day to day, trying to understand everything, learn the language, work out the money and the food and... It was just like nothing else. But I mean, gradually as you get used to the family, because I mean, my husband's family is huge. You know, so once you get to know them and you sit around, because I had been here to Jakarta on holidays before, but when you're on a holiday, you're in holiday mode. So, you know, nothing really, you're just gliding along, everybody's getting everything ready for you. So you don't really think about anything except having fun. But then living here, totally different. And so, you know, once once you get to know everybody and you get together for a party, this is when they bring their stories out, their gin stories or their possession stories. <laughs> you know, so one night we're all sort of like sitting together talking and they started talking about something called Tuyul. So I said to Yanta, what's a Tuyul? And he said, oh, that's a little gin that you can, like, take into your possession. It'll do things for you that you want to do. It's like your servant. And it'll take money from other people or take jewellery. So you'll have money, but the other people won't. And they have to obey you. But they can be mischievous. They can cause trouble. And I said, so where are they? And he said, well, you know, they usually stay with their owners, but once he sends them out to do his bidding, they could be anywhere trying to find money or jewellery or whatever. So, you know, I oh think, my God, by the time I got home that night, I locked all the doors and I wouldn't leave the bedroom till morning because I thought, oh, my God, there's going to be a tuyul in the garage. For some reason, this stuck with me for ages and it took a while. And I realised, well, it's not going to happen, so that sort of like faded away in the end. But that was probably the scariest thing. Apart from that, they just like to tell their ghost stories. You know, everybody's got a story about something. Mum, you know why there's no
0: tuyul in our house? Or there wasn't. Why? We don't have any money to steal. <laughs> that's true. What are they going to come to us for? They leave with a few coins in their pocket and
1: that's it. That's true, that's true. Steal one of you, perhaps? I wonder, I wonder what the to you will do with the money anyway like well they give it to their owners oh uh, oh they take it back to their owners i see
2: yeah i mean even even now where we live now like we live like in like a little family compound because we all have houses here but next door to us is a little village a kampung And one of my sisters-in-law was telling me, oh yeah, the guy up the road's got a old. That's why he suddenly got all this money. And I thought, oh God, here we go again. You know, it's very common here to do this sort of thing. So who knows? I would never do it, even if I could, because I think that's just too creepy.
1: (laughs) And I kind of jumped a little bit ahead of myself. Why did you decide to move to Indonesia?
2: Oh, that's, Well, Yanto had come back to Indonesia in 1988 when his mother was very sick. She passed away while he was in Jakarta. But he met up with some advertising people. So he came back to Australia and we talked about it. I was like humming and hawing. I thought, oh, I don't know, you know. And then I found out I was having twins. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then she was like, huh. Oh, let's think about that again. So he did get a job offer in Jakarta. So we thought, okay, let's make the decision to go there. We'll stay there for about three years, see how it goes.
0: Man, is that how it happened?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, after three years, by then I didn't mind it too much. I was used to it. I had a job at the Jakarta Post, as you know, and then I went freelance for English. Then I went back to the Jakarta Post as freelance to work on other islands with their English language workshop program. So that was really good. I got to see a lot of different places even on those trips, I was lucky enough not to have anything happen. But once, when we were in Loksamawe, which is in the central of Aceh, so I was lucky enough to have my own room. The air condition worked. I was happy. The next morning when I went down to the other two girls who were Indonesian, they wanted to share a room because they were scared. They said, oh, we didn't sleep a wink last night. I said, Whoa, what's wrong? The air conditioning didn't work and there was bangings on the walls and things were making noise in the bathroom. We couldn't change because there's no other rooms in the hotel. We've been plagued all night by gin. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, oh, you poor thing. So anyway... That was the only memorable thing that happened on any of my outward bound trips with the Jakarta Post.
1: And just in terms of the household, you have people helping you in the house when everyone, like years ago when all the kids were at home, did they have any, like, I don't know, rituals or superstitions that you noticed that they would do?
2: (laughs) No, my maids were never sort of really into that sort of thing, but they did speak, of course they did speak to the other maids in the complex. And um, you always heard the stories about how this house or that house was being affected by a gin <laughs> or something was coming to annoy them. Or if you walk to the end of the street in that tree over there, there's a jinn that lives in there. Yeah, so my maids never really, they, they were scared of gin. Of course yeah. they were because it's part of the religion. But they, they avoided everything to do with that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, because they were frightened of it. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been frightened yourself of anything in terms of the supernatural?
2: Uh, no. I Just the tuyul. <laughs> I did that at the beginning. But I don't think I'm a very sensitive person in that sense, being aware of what's around us. I mean, there are people in my husband's family who are very aware of what's around us. But um, I avoid that thing just 100%. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and how have your beliefs evolved over the years? Like from when you were living in Australia to moving to Indonesia, like would you say you're a believer in the supernatural now? Or I mean,
2: I would say yes. I would have to say yes. I can't say no anymore because I've just... The things that have happened around me. I mean, in Australia, it was the usual like... Christmas, Easter, presents, Easter eggs, but no going to church. My parents weren't really into that. Uh, When I married my husband, I didn't become a Muslim straight away. I became a Muslim probably about two years after I married him. And it was another two or three years after that till I started studying about Islam. And I mean, even studying Islam in Australia, the topic of jinn never came up in our studies, you know, so I didn't even know then. So it wasn't really until we moved to Indonesia. And then you moved to Indonesia and then the floodgates were open (laughs) and then we moved to Indonesia. But, I mean, it's it's the thing. If you leave them alone, hopefully they leave you alone. I always view it like that. Yes. Yanta's a lot more in tune. He has that sensitivity. But he realises that if you go into that side of conversing with Jin or trying to see where they are, it can affect you and it draws you in too hard, too much, and you lose focus of your everyday life because you're more focused on the jinn, because it's a very interesting topic. And to be able to talk to the jinn, I mean, I guess it must be interesting to some people, but I would never do it. So he decided to stop that because he realised it was more taking over what should be a normal day of life. So, Karen, would you talk to a jinn?
1: Oh, my goodness, that's such a good question. (laughs) I'd be so curious, but I think... to be a hundred percent honest, I think I'd be terrified.
2: Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's like it's like Yanta says, you don't know if they're gonna end up following you around. Yes or you know, this sort of thing. So is it <clears throat> excuse me, it's better not to get involved. Yes. You know it's there. You respect it, but you leave it alone. I mean here on T V they have all these not supernatural shows. You know, like in America they have ghost hunters. Yes, yes. Here they they don't really have jinn hunters. But they take people into areas where they know there are lots of gin and um, they leave these people there to see if anything affects them. So it's like remote watching. They go out of the area and watch them from TVs from far away and this person's standing there and he might say, oh, I can hear funny noises on my left. I said, well, it is a forest. (laughs) (laughs) There's something moving on the right. Uh, something touched my face. I said, well, there's lots of bugs in the forest. (laughs) But then in a few cases, they will suddenly drop to the ground and start crawling around like a tiger. See? Oh, my
1: goodness.
2: (laughs) And so, you know, these people, of course, they have to come rushing from their remote area, which takes a long time. So you get to watch this person crawling around like a tiger on the floor. (laughs) And then they have to do the same thing. They have to, like, try and get this tiger out of this person. (laughs) Like, you know, get out. What are you doing here? Blah, 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 blah. But Yanta said, you know, these ghost hunters in America are nothing. They go into a house and they say, oh, what's that noise? Oh, did you hear that? There was footsteps. They should come here and go into an abandoned house and see what happens.
1: Amazing. I was looking online and there's a lot of superstitions. Are there any that you actually enact? Like I, to this day, don't put new shoes on the table. I have absolutely Pain no idea why. <laughs> but no. I get super upset if I do. <laughs>
2: Exactly. I don't know why, it's just something that I remember and I thought, no, I better not do yes. that. I mean, here it's a case of women should not put their handbag on the ground. Oh. Either keep it on your lap or put it in an empty chair, but never put your handbag on the ground or the floor. Isn't that just so pickpockets don't grab it? No, it'll, it'll drain away your fortune. Oh. oh. Never heard that one. That's a good one. And usually here between the time of when the sun is just going down and when it's fully dark... You call the children inside. You don't let them play outside. This is more like an Islamic thing. This is the change of times of energies from the day energy to the night energy. And that time, you don't know what's out there. So you bring the children in and uh, when it's fully dark, you can go and let them play again. Oh, wow. Gosh. Yeah, that's a good idea. just let the kids run around in the dark. (laughs) So, that's the only thing. Other superstitions I haven't really heard. When someone, this also happens in other countries, I think. I've seen it in other countries. When someone dies, you cover up all the mirrors. Wow. Mm, that's a Jewish thing. You cover up all the mirrors and you cover up any statues you might have in the house.
1: Oh, I haven't heard of
2: that.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure about the statues, but I know Jewish people, if someone dies, you cover the
2: mirrors in the house. Gosh. That's about it, really. There are no other, no other superstitions that I know of probably if you spoke to an indonesian they could give you an arm's length (laughs) of superstitions but it's called pamali it's things like you're not allowed to sit on top of a
0: pillow oh really you're not allowed to this is a weird one if you're on your period you can't just throw away all the hair that falls out of your head oh and then uh... you have to collect
1: it okay that's really (laughs) bizarre
0: I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do with it after. Wow. Collect it and then what? Yeah. Maybe wait till your period's finished? I don't know.
2: But like I said, our household is a bit different because we're a mixture of Western and Indonesian. Yeah. So I guess we're pretty pragmatic here.
1: Yes. Have you been to one of those? Nis in the earlier part of the episode was talking about the puppets. Have you been to one of those shows?
2: The Wayang. Wayang Kulit or Wayang. There's two. There's the one that's like the shadow puppets. And that person who is in charge of that, who does the puppetry, he's called a dalang, puppet master. And oh, I just remembered a story. I had to go and interview one outside of Bandung. He was very famous. And he was, his puppetry was used by the government to try and get messages across to the people. Like, um, I mean, they'd have their normal puppet stories, like the long epic stories that go all night so you sit and watch this show but he was also asked if he could help like with hand washing because a big problem here is sanitation yeah so one of the stories he had to incorporate in one of his shorter plays was about hand washing or maybe uh, women foregoing to the doctor to have their children rather than at home it's safer so I had to interview him to see what he thought about this and what he had done with his life and he was I found out later on that he was quite famous. I didn't know this at the time. When we went to another place and my husband told him who I had interviewed, they said, oh. I said, oh, why? Oh, he's famous. Yeah, he's had all these wives and (laughs) he has all these children. Wow. And he's very mystical and this and everything else. So I went into this interview blind, (laughs) thankfully. And um, found out later. I mean, he's just such a small and unassuming man. You just wouldn't realise it until you saw him. So that was quite funny. Wow. We did go one night to see a shaman, Orang Pintar, uh, a man, an older man, because someone in the family was having a problem. And someone else in the family said, well, you should go and see this guy because he can help see what's happening and give you an answer. So Yanda said, you want to come along? And I said, sure, why not? I've got to be brave eventually. (laughs) So we get to this guy's house. We all sit around on the floor. We gave him, oh, you have to give them cigarettes and you have to give them black coffee. Wow. For some reason, this helps them get them in the mood. (laughs) So we gave this offering to him. We all sat around in the circle waiting for him to get into his mood. Apparently, he was taken over by his spirit that helps him. So someone in the family said, well, this is our problem, blah, 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 with this person. And he came back and said, oh, and he went blah, because blah, my Indonesian at that stage wasn't very good. Yeah. And Yanda wouldn't translate, so I'm not really sure what went on in that case. But he did look a bit weird <laughs> when he started talking in this other person's voice. Didn't you ask Dad afterwards? Yeah, but he sort of like was very vague about it, about what could actually be done. It didn't seem like... Man,
0: but that's just bloody typical. <laughs> With the interesting stuff,
2: he should have just automatically translated for you anyway. Well, I mean, you're sitting in this room and it's really quiet. You can't sort of like interrupt him. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, can you just repeat
0: that last sentence? I need to translate for my wife.
2: But I mean, there's a lot of people like that here who say they have powers and you go to them to get help, either good help or bad help, you know, so that's that's a bit scary.
1: Oh, so you can go to shaman to sort of, is it more of the witchcraft sort of thing, like to put spells on people? Black magic,
2: yeah. yeah. Oh, black magic. If you, if you want to hurt someone in their business, maybe you go after the wife, maybe you make them sick or the business goes bad, but yeah, they have people who do that. Who oh, you, gosh. you still believe in that.
0: I didn't realise that. Oh, yeah. Even now, to this day. The Dukun or the Shaman or the Orang Pintar or whatever. There's the black magic and the white magic sort of thing. So there's the people who will help you. They can sort of help you maybe find things or solve problems or
2: get rid of the annoying gin in your house what else what else could they do some of them are masseuses and stuff like that aren't they yeah massages yeah they can you can you can have special massages here wow. that will cure you of all kinds of things or instead of in, instead of using birth control they have women here who, who can massage you in a certain way so you won't get pregnant for a certain amount of time <laughs> that's handy <laughs> wow yeah and then when you want to get pregnant you have another massage and they take it away and you can get pregnant again yeah, yeah. and then you've
0: got the black magic ones who put curses on people or or that kind of stuff. I actually had a teacher in high school who she always had a skin problem similar to eczema, but she one day went into hospital and we went to visit her and she said that someone had put like a curse on her and that's why she had that skin condition. And when she was in surgery because she had something wrong with the skin that she had to go into surgery, she said that the doctor was pulling out small prawns from under her skin. Oh, (coughs) Which is hilarious and horrible at the same time, if it's true. Oh, what? Exactly. It was a weird one. And she just told us that, like, she was lying in her hospital what? bed and she was like, thanks for coming. The doctor pulled prawns out of my skin. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, she didn't say it straight
2: away like that. Horrible. but.
1: My goodness, I mean, I don't I'm lost for words. <laughs> that's
2: a bit, yeah, that's a bit horrible.
1: Yeah, the black magic side of things, what would that influence be from? It's not Hinduism, it's not Buddhism. Where would that be coming from?
2: I think it's always sort of like been here. I mean, even in Islam, they say don't, I'm sort of like paraphrasing, of course, don't get involved with black magic, stay away. So, of course, in that sense, then you have to have people who can help you take it away from you. So you have the white magic. I would never even think of trying to, to do anything like that yeah because it'll probably backfire <laughs> and land on me yeah. oh
1: definitely karma
2: mm, exactly so you know you better not you just sort of like say you'll get yours
1: <laughs> okay so we've known each other for so long I'm gonna admit secret auntie Martina my neighbor's Nis knows all about this above me they're just extremely loud rude and they do all sorts of things that are just so annoying I have to say I've just fantasized about getting them back
0: karen did you go to a dukun (laughs) yeah well you know
1: i've been pushed to the limit but the only thing that stopped me is that idea of karma you know what you put out comes back so
2: exactly comes back to you Yeah. yeah
1: and in terms of if tomorrow someone new turned up and asked you to describe indonesia's supernatural mythology and folklore what would you say to them and would you have any advice
2: I think most foreigners are immune to it because they've not ever been in that situation. I mean, it's like the different types of foreigners who come here. Yeah. You have the expats who are really living the expat life, they know nothing but extravagance. Then you have maybe the ones who come here to teach English. They like the community, the people, but they still hang out with their own people. Then you have people like me yeah. who have married an in Indonesian and come in and actually live in the society of Indonesia. I would say, listen to the stories, let them tell their stories because they're going to want to tell you their their horror stories. You can't stop them. (laughs) If you're scared, be scared, but also take everything with a grain of salt and be careful. I mean, admittedly, I think in Indonesia, I think you do have to be careful because you just don't know what's going to happen. Whether he's a psycho who's just off his brain, whether he is possessed by a jinn, we don't know. These people who hear voices, could it possibly be a jinn that they're hearing? And I would say just float along the surface, have your good time in Indonesia, live as you want to, but don't get involved personally in trying to do anything like that, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Honestly, you really just don't know.
1: Very sage advice. When I was doing a bit of research, I saw that not so much the ghost stories, but more the folk stories they come from a place where people have learnt something and they want to pass that information down through the oh, generations. Yeah. Like you were saying with the sanitization. it's coming from like a helpful sort of point of view. Exactly.
2: So in that sense, it's good.
1: Any final thoughts on the paranormal, Auntie Martina, that you'd like to impart?
2: Living in Indonesia, it's always going to be with you. You can't get away from it. Don't get involved because I've seen what happens to people who do get involved, whether it's psychological or whether it's gin, I don't know, but it doesn't have a good ending. Listen to people's stories because you're not going to be able to stop them. And they're interesting. They are interesting. Of course, ghost stories are always interesting. That's the problem. (laughs) But, you know, just whatever people tell you, take it with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today.
2: Oh, you're welcome. It's been enjoyable. It's been different. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: So, but Karen, you actually were a foreigner in Indonesia for a little while when you worked at the Jakarta Post for a few months. So how does sort of your experience compare? And I guess like what if you had heard all of this stuff mum told you before you went over.
1: I would have been frightened. I'm yeah, to be honest. I would have been scared, but I still would have gone because I'm curious. But I don't think I would have been as free as in I don't know. I just think it would have inhibited me.
2: You would have been more wary, I think.
1: Yeah, wary and a bit scared and um but I just remember like being so excited because everybody I met had a story and wanted to share it with me. I was just like a kid in a candy shop. I was like, oh, bring it on. Like, because <laughs> no one in Australia really wants to discuss these sort of topics. And everyone in Indonesia was, you know, very happy to share all these weird experiences or or stories that they had and i was over the moon really but years on i think if i knew then what i know now like i would have been a bit more reticent to get involved in this sort of area but
0: yeah so does that then now make you wary to go back there now that you're hearing more about this oh
1: absolutely not But yeah, no. I just, I just find Indonesia is synonymous with ghosts. Whereas, like, there's not many other countries that you can say that really. Well, thanks again, Auntie Martina, for talking to us.
2: You're welcome.
1: And please stay away from those two
2: <laughs> I will.
1: Good. We look forward to bringing you more stories and taking you on a paranormal journey around Indonesia. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, you can find it on our website at archipelaghosts.com. Thanks to otter.ai, Archipelaghosts' official transcription sponsor, for transcribing each episode and giving everyone the opportunity to be part of that journey. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Archighosts. And lastly, make sure to subscribe to our podcast on whichever podcast app you use. And if you like our podcast, we'd really appreciate our review. Good luck and good health.